I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We are excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome and thank you again once uh, for joining us. Well, happy to be with you both. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for having me back. Of course. Of course. Archbishop, how's your month been? How have you been the last uh, the last several several weeks? Well, I've been fine. I uh, sent a note out so people wouldn't worry. I had a minor bout of COVID. I'm much better after that, so yeah, that's yeah. fine. Uh, like most everybody, I've been... Uh, eagerly waiting for spring to happen, even though the calendar said it uh, was some time ago. I know. But I noticed the brave daffodils have uh, continued to blossom, and the robins seem to think it's spring, so that's That's great. Yeah. I had a wonderful experience of getting a briefing on uh, the efforts sponsored by the U.S. Conference of Bishops, Walking with Moms in Need, And uh, our team here in Detroit, Archdiocese, uh, gave me a a presentation on what we're doing. It's really remarkable in how hard they've worked and the cooperation in the parishes to really put together the resources that uh, we make available, the faithful make available to moms in need, uh, not just uh, during pregnancy, but in the months after uh, the baby comes to birth. So mm. that was, uh, it was uh, made me very proud of uh, uh, the pro-life, uh, the pro-moms, the pro-baby work that uh, the faithful are doing. That's a real ho- hopeful, uh, a hopeful, I'm sure, uh, little information or information to get to know that we're doing really good things for moms has to feel good. Yeah. Well, as we're recording this, we are uh, finishing up the season of Lent. So I'm wondering um, if this particular Lent, it seems like uh, the Lord speaks to us sometimes in unique ways as we move through the seasons of our church. Was there anything on your heart in terms of prayer as you moved through Lent 2022? Uh, Mary, not uh, a a new form of prayer, but a, a particular lens for me to think about my prayer and my spiritual exercises. Uh, that's uh, that it's all about letting God the Father teach me how to be his son. Uh, mm-hmm. And he does that in the Holy Spirit. So uh, it's very much been my theme this Lent of uh, being a, a willing student because mm. uh, I don't always feel like learning how to be God's abandoned son. Mm. Sometimes I'd, I'd like to be, I'm tempted to be a lot more like Adam and Eve. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Um, yeah. yeah, I like that 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 phrase, a willing student. It's a good it's a it's a good reflection to pray with. And to see everything that happens as a, uh, an opportunity to learn my lessons. Mm. Is there something specific that drew you to to reflect with that Archbishop this Lent, specifically that idea of, of sonship and you know being with your father? No, no particular instrument that I've used. Uh, mm. I suppose. Uh, Go back again and again to the letter to the Hebrews mm. about uh, how uh, uh, our Lord, uh, his priesthood consisted in the offering of himself to the Father. Beautiful. Well, Archbishop, as we come to a close with the Lenten season, you know, obviously we're in, uh, coming into Holy Week. We're actually recording during Holy Week right now. And 
I just wanted to ask, do you have a favorite uh, Holy Week or Triduum kind of liturgy or, or a favorite moment within one of those liturgies during Holy Week and Easter? Here are some of my favorites, Mike. Uh, certainly the Chrism Mass is, for me, one of the high points of my year. It's beautiful to see uh, the Church gathered together. The Vatican II document on uh, the liturgy says that uh, this is the fullest manifestation of what it is for the church to be the church, to have uh, the bishop, his presbyters, the deacons, and the lay faithful all gathered in the Eucharistic sacrifice, and especially for me at the Chrism Mass, when we Mm -hmm. ask the Holy Spirit to uh, consecrate the Chrism, bless the oils, uh, which then are integral to the life of our diocese the, the whole year. So the Chrism Mass is very, very beautiful, I think. Uh, the second I, I would mention is uh, actually baptizing uh, the elect, mm-hmm. the, the catechumens at the Easter Vigil. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a renewed e- a baptismal font at the cathedral. The uh, catechumens are led down into it. Uh, mm. uh, uh, we do it by infusion, by pouring but uh, very ample pouring, and they come out uh, <laughs> ready to put on their white robes. So that's beautiful. Nice. And then uh, uh, something that has, over the years, come become more and more uh, striking to me is the scripture antiphon that's sung during the Easter time uh, when the people are sprinkled with the Easter water. Mm-hmm. I saw water coming forth from the temple from the right side, and uh, all those to whom that water came shall say, uh, Alleluia, Alleluia. And uh, this, of course, is about uh, the prophecy of Ezekiel. And the real temple uh, from which the water comes is the heart of Christ. And it's just uh, this uh, ritual and the text bring to me together for me uh, so many uh, 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 it's just a powerful manifestation of uh, what uh, uh, of the good news, really. Oh. Water from the right side. And if you remember, Ezekiel says that uh, alongside the, this river that uh, runs from the temple to the Dead Sea and makes it living, uh, there are plants that and trees that produce fruit once a month. Imagine that. <laughs> and that their leaves can be used as medicine. The, uh. This uh, water from the side of Christ is portrayed as so fruitful and so powerful, which, of course, it's grace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. It's the water that comes from the heart of Jesus. I am so glad that you took the time to kind of... Um, talk about that particular moment because sometimes we move through these liturgies and especially I'm I'm at them usually with my five small children and so it's easy to miss some of the text and some of the deep beauty that's happening and so uh, having you kind of take that moment to teach about that part will help me as we move through the Easter season during the sprinkling rite to be aware of what's happening and not let that moment miss us, right? Because the liturgy, there's so much in it that those moments can miss us sometimes, right? right. So that's that's helpful. Well, I, I think this is, uh, I mean, part of it is, of course, Mary, that we can uh, prepare ourselves and uh, make this a topic of meditation, mm-hmm. prayerful review as we get ready for the liturgy. Right. But uh, this is part of the dynamic of the liturgy is the, the action and the text. 
And almost always the text that accompanies the action is a scripture text, which tells us what the action means, and in many ways uh, also then goes on to tell us that what the scripture thing, what the scripture event is talking about is mm. in the liturgy made real for us today. Mm. Uh, what, what is uh, recounted, what's uh, uh, testified to, is not something only that happened back then, mm -hmm. but it's also happening right now. So yes, the water that comes from the right side of Christ uh, on Calvary, on Good Friday, is this gift of the Holy Spirit. But it's my gift today, here in the liturgy. And what the scripture says is what the liturgy does in us and for us and with us. Just so much depth present within those moments. It's, it's really stunning how uh, being a lifelong Catholic, <laughs> 42 years now, well, Mary, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to tell <laughs> to, us. not supposed to expose my age. <laughs> but how there's just, there's so much depth there that the Lord wants to offer through his spirit, even in the things that, you know, I'm used to doing. So how helpful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Speaking of Lent and Holy Week and all the mysteries that we will enter into in a unique way this season, this month during our podcast, we're going to spend some time talking about the charisma. That was it was described by St. John Paul II as the initial ardent proclamation by which each person is one day overwhelmed and brought to the decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. To begin, Archbishop Vigneron, what do we mean by that? We mean, Mary, that uh, the uh, work of evangelization is not the work of presenting a whole system of thought, but as uh, John Paul says in another place, or actually, I'm sorry, it's Pope Benedict, uh, we proclaim a person. Uh, mm. John Paul uses the word initial. I mean, there's always so much more to know about the revelation in Christ Jesus. But it's an initial proclamation of the good news. He also points out that it's ardent, uh, talking about uh, the disposition of the, the uh, proclaimer, uh, the one who does the announcing. Uh, it's not like, oh, well, uh, wah, 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 wada, yada, yada. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it means something to yeah. me, and that's right. why I'm saying it to you. Right. And... Uh, who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And it's not uh, uh, neutral information. If you have really understood what I'm saying, you have to make a decision. It, uh, it, re it calls for a response. And now, Saint, in St. Saint John's Gospel, he calls that the crisis. Uh, we're put into a situation where we have to make a judgment. We have to mm. move one way or the other. So the word kerygma itself, where do we get that word from? When is it used in scripture? Where uh, A little bit of word origin, I suppose. Uh, how have we landed on that word? Because some people might not be familiar with the word itself. Well, it's a, it's a churchy word, certainly. Yeah. It's a Greek uh, uh, participle. It means that which has been proclaimed. Uh, it's used in... Uh, so I looked this up. Uh, sometimes it's used in, in classical Greek. It's used in the Old Testament. Uh, for the Greeks themselves, it meant uh, 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 what is proclaimed by a herald who, who goes through the city. Um, it, it's, it's that which is proclaimed. It comes from the verb to proclaim, to cry out. Uh, 
And uh, it's often, as I looked it up, it says it's the, the verb form is used even more than the noun uh, to, to proclaim. And then the direct object is the good news. So the mm. kerygma is the good news. It's a, this summary a presentation of uh, the good news that uh, Christ has died and risen. Uh, he uh, takes away our sins. He, he calls us to repentance uh, so that we can live with him forever. He's the answer to our, to our misery. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you kind of what we proclaim, and you kind of alluded to it obviously earlier with Pope Benedict, but then even just now, you're, you know, we're, pro- we're proclaiming a person. But that can kind of seem uh, semi-abstract, right? So, like, what does that mean or look like to, like, proclaim person, you know, and, and how does that message, I don't know, as you've reflected, I guess, Archbishop, on this idea of kerygma, how is this different than other messages? How is it you know, and just speaking with friends or something, you know, how, how is it that we proclaim person or how is it life-changing and different than other proclamations we might make, Archbishop? Well, I think uh, it's not completely different from other proclamations. Let's start with that. Uh, uh, when a, a man proclaims his love for uh, a woman, uh, that can be life-changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I love you and I, I would like to marry you. Right. Well, there has to be a decision that uh, follows that. It, mm. That's not uh, something. It's not like simply reporting what the the high temperature is for uh, a certain day of the week. Right. So uh, it's that kind of a proclamation. And how do you proclaim a person? I think you proclaim who that person is for you. Uh, mm. It always involves witness. It involves uh, who Jesus, what Jesus has done. And what it means to me, uh, and and calls for a response. I think that that those elements are essential. And by my proclaiming uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, however I do it, and with whomever I do it, uh, I uh, I invite you to join me in knowing Him. Mm. And I want you to do this because I love because I love you. Right. And he loves you. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a it's such a profound uh proclamation. Obviously, it's 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 why we do everything that we're doing. So it's it's important to take a moment to think about it and pray with it. I know in the summer of 2019, the Archdiocese dedicated an issue of Unleash the Gospel on the good news or the kerygma. In this issue, Father John Ricardo kind of introduced this idea that um, was really powerful for me personally, suggesting that the kerygma can be simplified into four words. And I love these four words because I think that they help connect everyday people to the mystery of of the good news of what Jesus Christ did. And these these four words are created, captured, rescued, and response. I just find each of those four words to be so profound and powerful. I was wondering if you could speak to each of those four different areas that Father John kind of titled for us, created, captured, rescued, and response, and maybe just a brief thought on each. Well, I think it is a, a very helpful summary of uh, what you, what you might call the profiles of uh, the the kerygma uh, created that we are here as part of God's plan. Uh, he has made us for something, for Himself really, 
that's part of the kerygma. We're not an accident, uh, that the world is good, captured, that because the world is good, the, uh, the evil that's in the world, the suffering that's in the world, uh, doesn't belong here. Uh, the, things are messed up, and they are messed up uh, because of uh, human rebellion, because of separating ourselves from the Creator and His plan. Mm-hmm. Rescued, that uh, while, God, while we got ourselves into this mess, uh, mm-hmm. we don't have to get ourselves out of it. That uh, God has, in His mercy, His care, His love to uh, make things right, has in fact made things better than they were in the beginning. He's given us His Son. In response, we, uh, th- we've, so far then we've proclaimed the kingdom of God, and we invite you, uh, I invite my listeners, we invite others to join us in, in accepting the grace that God offers. Um, it's funny. I remember there was a, a point, and I don't. I think it was you, Archbishop, that said, for those of us working in the church and serving in the church, that the kerygma message has to be part of everything that we're doing. So if we're presenting anything, it needs to be tied to the kerygma. And I remember that that shifted in a lot of ways uh, how Mike and I even approached ministry. How do you see the kerygma fitting in to evangelization efforts? I think uh, everything we do, uh, as you say, Mary, uh, needs to be presented in the light of this proclamation. Let's the very sim- easy to summarize it: the lordship of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. That's a. If, if you were going to sort of compress all the vitamins into one pill, I think that would be, that that would be a way to do it. But that Jesus is Lord. So that uh, everything we're about is a way uh, to be connected to that lordship. Uh, so uh, working in the food bank, uh, visiting my sick neighbor. Uh, and I think not, not, we need more and more, not simply to uh, understand that is implied, but to make it explicit. Uh, and oftentimes a very good way to make it explicit is through shared prayer in the experiences of uh, Christian service or uh, uh, the works of mercy. But uh, I think there are two ways to think about the evangelizing effort of the church. Uh, One is very uh, targeted and explicit efforts, house-to-house evangelization, uh, standing on a street corner and uh, inviting people to, to, to come to know Christ. And then there's everything we do which should be seasoned with this evangelical effort. And I think a, a touchstone to ask uh, oneself whether this I'm being true to the evangelizing mission is there's something about what I'm doing that invites the person I'm acting with, interacting with, uh, to uh, make a self-gift to God in Christ Jesus. When you think about the Kerygma message and those four kind of movements or parts, the created, captured, rescued, and response, I know I like to think about it as just kind of the, we, we lose the forest from the trees. There's so much in Catholicism. There's such a rich history, so much there that when you're thinking about like, okay, what do I share with other people? This is kind of its most reducible form, if you will, so as to not lose the forest from the trees. 
Is there a part of the kerygma itself, though, between creative, captured, rescued, and response that you feel that we tend to 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 fail to do well, or maybe that we um, could redouble our efforts, if you will, on how we best hit on that one aspect? Is there something a thought you had on that? Right off the top of my head, Mike, I think of. Uh... I would call them two uh, touchstones that I think we don't pay enough attention to. One is uh, what John Paul called the ardent dimension, mm. uh, what I described as uh, personal testimony uh, that uh, I, I claim, uh, I, I make a claim that I've been touched right. by the work of Christ Jesus. I think that's a, a thing that we find difficult to do. Mm. Um, so I present Jesus uh, in terms of what he means to me and to the church. I think that that's a very important dimension. And I think the other is uh, to uh, have a clear understanding that the fruit should be uh, the, uh, my, the interlocutor, the person I'm working with, uh, what I aim at is that person uh, drawing closer to Christ with me. Mm. Uh, in the bishops' conference, we've begun to talk a lot about being trying to be sure that our catechesis is an evangelizing catechesis. Mm -hmm. And I think what what we've asked ourselves, well, what does that mean? My own way of understanding it is that it means... Uh, an instruction, catechesis, in, in the, the revelation of Christ in such a way that it's, uh, it's not just of the head, but it's of the heart as well. Hmm. And so if a person is a religion teacher in our schools or uh, someone is a, uh, uh, a catechist uh, for our, the uh, parish children, uh, the aim should be a, a response. And I think a lot, very often uh, the most effective way is uh, in prayer. Uh, mm. That's a very good way to uh, initiate a response. And my own view is that uh, helping, motivating somebody to open her heart, his heart to prayer uh, will bear great good fruit. Uh, I think I've said in the podcast before, I think about opening the heart to prayer is a little bit like making uh, a crack in the concrete or in the asphalt. Uh, you know, it doesn't take very long after you make the crack for the dandelions to find a place to take root. Oh. And uh, if you get somebody to pray, I think uh, you're well on the way to helping them uh, to a fuller, response to Christ. Mm -hmm. And that, that's another important thing. Uh, uh, one of the things to do for uh, helping people respond to the kerygma is asking, uh, helping them pray uh, for the grace of a response. Mm -hmm. If uh, someone said you know, they're, they're not very far along in the path of faith, they can ask for the gift of faith. And that is a prayer that is always heard when hmm. someone yeah. asks, you know, it's the prayer, uh, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Mm -hmm. The Lord always, the Holy Spirit uh, in, uh, infallibly responds to that. 
it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. My mind is kind of going all over the place because I always. I was, uh, af- I yeah. was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid I shut you down. No, no, no. It's if I I find this conversations just so. Um, deeply interesting for the work that Mike and I are blessed to do being catechists and working within the archdiocese and how do how how do we facilitate the the crack in the concrete right and I I love that you focused on that word ardent and that that personal witness it's really an introduction here is somebody who has done this for you and loves you and here's what he's done in my life and I want you to know that in your life too you know a real um kind of passionate appeal from a place of witness of what God has done. And I think sometimes we've maybe um, not done the best job kind of connecting the pieces as catechists, right, as people interested in um, evangelization for people to show them that this is this is a relationship that Jesus wants with you. It's not stale. It's not um, boring. It's like beautiful to invite people into that. Right, and it's not, a, it's not a, a, as Pope Benedict said, it's not a, a system of theoretical propositions right. or, or uh, moral propositions, though it right. does have theoretical or, or uh, practical implications, mm-hmm. but it's about uh, encountering a person, mm-hmm. uh, a, an event, uh, the event of his Passover in his person. Mm-hmm. Mary, I'd like to maybe spend a little time with you and Mike as catechists talking about parents and uh, the, the way parents are catechists for their children, grandparents mm-hmm. for their grandkids. I think, uh, I mean, I, I hear this a lot, you know, uh, especially uh, parents of adult children. Uh, Archbishop, uh, it really bothers me. Our, our children don't practice the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, can this kind of uh, approach to uh, one-on-one evangelizing? Uh, can we teach our, our, uh, our parents and grandparents uh, some simple uh, uh, ways to be able to do this? Uh, um, I think sometimes uh, people might think that what we're inviting them to is to be a nag. I, th- mm-hmm. I think right. this ardent witness right. is different from nagging. What, yes. what, do, you, what do you think about that? Oh, I'll let Mike, I'll let Mike actually share because, because Mike, I think it's so interesting that inspiration that you had from the spirit a few years ago with the retreat that we're doing with parents like it to me, that's what, and and of course it keeps coming to mind. Archbishop, I will, I will invite you into this topic. (laughs) Mike, do you want to share a little bit with what happened with our confirmation retreats and the fruits that we've seen from it? Because it really was an inspiration from the spirit to you that I think you've shifted some of the ministry we're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so uh, Archbishop, I don't know if you if you're aware, but I know for for years, Mary and I kind of, you know, especially when she became a stay at home mom, she wanted to stay involved in ministry, and you know, I'm doing full time ministry, and so we kind of put ourselves out there to be hired by parishes to um, confirmation retreats for them. And for years, we did this just with the teens, of course, and you know, eighth graders, and that's kind of commonly how it's been done. And um, you know, when you read statistics, and you know, you just look at the facts as they are. You know, many families aren't participating in the faith or, or practicing. And so, um, and obviously these young people are spending far more time with their parents and will spend far more time with their parents than they ever will with their youth ministers or they will with their priests and all that stuff. So the inspiration was really, you know, let's run a confirmation retreat, not just for the teens, but for the parents and the teens. And that became becomes like a requirement. Like it must be parents and teens that come to this retreat together. Um, and we just don't do 
simple team retreats anymore. And if that's what you're interested in, then you're not interested in us because that's not what we do anymore. And so uh, we made that shift a handful of years ago. And, you know, the fruits of it are really phenomenal because I think we're, we tried to create an experience where the parents and the, and the young person, the teen, um, really discuss faith. They share faith. They hear a charisma message and then they are, are called in, in a way to respond as a family, as a parent and as a child, um, not just in isolation, not just the type of thing where, you know, the young person experiences this and then goes home and tells their parents, but the parents weren't there to experience it. So it's hard for them to get, they've experienced it together. And so there's something there, but you know, even going on to what you said about, you know, parents that maybe their children have left the home, they're off in college or beyond and their, their children have drifted and they have, you know, the kind of the Monica complex, they have, they want their Augustans back. Um, you know, I know I've done some work at my own parish working with those, those grandparents and regular parents in that situation. And it is heartbreaking, you know, and, and you try to, like you said, I think help them to better understand what the Kerygma message is because it's the most simple, reducible form. And, and it's not, as intimidating, uh, or it's a great starting place. Yeah, and the beauty is, I think, no, I think the beauty is too with this, the confirmation retreat, and I think it's, it's it ties to this conversation so well. The entire retreat is is based off of the charisma, right? So um, we're we're talking about the good news. That's it's we obviously included the Holy Spirit in that conversation for confirmation, but to watch families um, uh, retreat and pray with the good news for six hours. That's how long the retreat is. I, I feel so good about it because I think part of the issue is in families, I'm not sure if families together are working um, on their personal relationship with Jesus. So it doesn't seem like a relationship. Kids kids are forced to go to religious ed or they have to get the sacraments and they have to do this and we have to go to mass maybe sometimes, but there's a missing piece of this person. So it's so beautiful, I think, when we can within our parishes to offer moments where parents and young people are together reflecting and praying with the good news, with the created, captured, rescued response. We use those words, Archbishop, in our retreat. And we've had, I mean, Mike, we've had multiple parents come up and say, wow, like nobody's ever presented it quite like this. But what's so awesome about that is the parents are receiving it right next to their young people. So it's a family movement, right? And then hopefully our hope is that they go home with a different understanding and maybe, um, a more ardent desire to know Jesus personally. And that becomes the motivation for going to mass and receiving the sacraments and being alive in our faith and service and everything. It's all based on this relationship. And I guess like, um, you know, my deep desire would be that and Archbishop, I think you've called us to this as a diocese. Everything we're doing in ministry should be geared towards that. Every program that we have, every opportunity of teaching or catechesis, needs to be connecting back to your relationship with Jesus through his church. Right? Right. You know, <laughs> you, you, you say everything that what, uh, I'm smiling. I was thinking about uh, how often uh, the parish priests have to think about the, uh, uh, the potholes in the, uh, <laughs> in, in the parking, parking lot. lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, what a how what a grace it can be for the the priest the finance uh, council to at least th- recognize that when they have to get the the parking lot redone why do you need a parking lot right it's so people can come and encounter christ 
Right. Uh, what is the end game for the task? Yep. And uh, that kind of an awareness should lead to some some form of praise and thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might, might be very brief, but yep. I think it, it, you know, our Lord talks about salt and leaven. I think this is the kind of awareness that leavens the ordinary parts of life. I think it can leaven the ordinary parts of uh, family life. You know, mm-hmm. why, uh, why do I uh, uh, have to put the dishes in the dishwasher? Yes. Uh, uh, why do I have to dust this table uh, every week? Yep, you know? yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> All the sorts of things that uh, are, are part of uh, our ordinary life, uh, by this evangelizing, uh, this charismatic awareness, mm-hmm. uh, can be transformed. Yeah, and it's a real beautiful thing, I think, when when I've been exposed to parishes where you can tell that culture has kind of settled in. And so uh, I think sometimes just with parish work, there's so many practical things like the potholes, and we forget to connect that connect what we're doing and why we're doing it. And and that's why I think a podcast like this is so important and just continuing to evaluate everything I'm doing as a mother and my husband's doing as a father in our domestic church and everything we're doing in our parishes. How is it bringing about a greater awareness of the good news? That's the challenge, I think. Yes, and it's a very particular challenge for the third millennium. Um, mm-hmm. We had, uh, uh, let's go back to Father Ricardo. He talks about the wallpaper sometimes, uh, mm. the background. Uh, we had had for uh, generations a background where, that took all of this for granted. And you didn't have to think about the why. Uh, it, it just it, uh, sort of was uh, semi-consciously fu- suffused everything. But uh, there are a lot of new whys, different whys, different explanations, contrary to uh, the Christian gospel. And so we have to be very purposeful, very uh, in, intenting uh, about this. It's, it's more work, admittedly, yeah, but, right. but we have to do it. Right. You know, there was a time when it would have worked fine just to have the... the uh, the teenagers at the confirmation retreat, mm-hmm. but it, it's not sufficient anymore. Mm-hmm. In this, uh, we have to. We are very much like the Christians of the first generations. Mm-hmm. We have to be very uh, uh, intentional uh, about uh, our countercultural why, mm-hmm. what it's for, what it's about. I love you pointing that out. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, Mike, I love that uh, you pointing it out that way as well, because sometimes it can be um, an overwhelming, uh, almost almost to the point of a little touch of despair to look at our culture and how difficult it is. But there's something really beautiful about recognizing that this moment in church history is giving us a a point to reignite the flame, right? So going through the motions is not something we want, wanted or want now. And we have this opportunity and, and that can be a hopeful um, lens to look at some of the difficulties in our culture. I think that it's, it's a real ground to be able to, um, with enthusiasm, announce the good news that we have. It's an opportunity to glorify the Father. I mm. was... Uh, reading the scriptures appointed for uh, masses and holy week about 
Uh, our Lord at the Last Supper says, uh, as he's staring Good Friday in the face, said, Father, thank you for glorifying yourself and glorifying me. Uh, that <laughs> that's, that's the paradox of, uh, of the Passover of Christ. And so uh, while it can seem very difficult, it is difficult to, to be the church in this, uh, this age, but it's an opportunity to glorify the Father and to, for us to be glorified as his obedient daughters and sons along with Jesus you know, going back to, you know, kind of almost where we started, Mary read this quote from John Paul II. Uh, this says, let's talk about the Kerygman. It says, it's the initial ardent proclamation by which a person is one day overwhelmed and brought into a decision to entrust himself to Jesus Christ by faith. Archbishop, I was just curious or wondering, you know, uh, is there a moment or a time where you had that kind of experience where you felt overwhelmed or truly struck uh, by this, this message? Um, is there a moment for you that you can remember feeling that overwhelmed? I don't know that I would use the verb overwhelmed. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm, I'm a pretty steady person. You know? yeah, I've picked I get up that. on that, Archbishop yeah. <laughs> But I would use the word compelled, hmm. uh, compelled to move in a certain direction. And it hmm. was, uh, when I was thinking about giving up on my priestly vocation, hmm. and I realized in prayer, uh, in the presence of Christ, that I was being a coward for wanting hmm. to th think about walking away. Hmm. And uh, I, I, I had a sense, I, I just knew that that's not the way I wanted to treat Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to uh, uh, stay with him. In, in the struggle, whatever the struggle was. And uh, that, in some way, I think that, wow. that has been the most powerful, particular experience of my own sense of the Lordship of Christ. I love that, like the idea that you want to stay in the struggle. Yeah, that, that's... To yeah. stay by his side, even though it's not going to be easy or fun or always interesting. Um, <laughs> that's good. Well, it's probably always been a little interesting. Well, maybe interesting, yeah. <laughs> I like what you said there about overwhelmed too, Archbishop, because I think, you know, some people when they read that definition, it can, it can, you know, they're maybe at a similar disposition to you and they read it and it feels off-putting because, you know, I've never really felt overwhelmed. Um, but I like what you, you know, the word that you use there, instead of overwhelmed, you said, uh, what was it you said again? You said, uh, you compelled, felt like, uh, compelled. That's the word. Thank you. Uh, I think that's great because I think it just makes this more accessible to, to people. I'm sorry, I cut you off. What were you going to say? No, I, I think uh, it, the Holy Spirit is going to work this work in uh, each person according to uh, the fabric of uh, heart and mind that God has created in the person. Um, I, 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 always uh, our relationships in grace uh, have a very good uh, analog in marital relations. We, we're married to Christ, the church mm. is. And I suspect that there are some marriages where uh, uh, there is, ardor shows itself in one particular way, uh, very uh, a lot of fireworks, <laughs> and uh, there's always the the comic uh, portrayal of a marriage where uh, the husband says, "Well." Why do I have to tell you I love you? I cleaned right. the gutters. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> yeah. right, right, yeah. And that, for some people, that's ardor. Uh, yep. I think 
I think it's important to uh, be open to the way the Holy Spirit moves each heart uh, to respond to the good news. Mm -hmm. uh, and for some, it's, it, it will be a very quiet kind of steadiness. For others, it will be a, a very uh, manifest enthusiasm. Um, let the, the Holy Spirit is uh, the uh, first spiritual director of uh, mm -hmm. every Christian. You know, if people are listening right now, Archbishop, as we kind of wrap up this conversation and they're thinking to themselves, you know, what's the most effective way to to share this message? I know sometimes I, I get overwhelmed by all I want to say because it's so exciting and so good. Like, what are some practical ways that we can focus ourselves to share the charisma with others? One practical way that I think helps us uh, discern through all the possibilities is to make uh, part of my morning prayer uh, a, a look at the day ahead and look at what are one or two situations I anticipate uh, where I could uh, evangelize, where I could share the kerygma, and to th uh, plot out a little bit uh, what I might do. And I think uh, to make uh, part of that plot, uh, that uh, program for the, the plan for the day, how am I going to share in prayer with the person that I uh, anticipate uh, evangelizing? I don't know if, is that the kind of thing you're asking? Yeah, that's about, exactly Mary? what I was. That's that's an excellent practical tip of well, how to how to approach this. You know, um, even in my own life, that that would be a good. Uh, practice in the morning to look at my day and think. Um, inviting people to prayer is always, you always encourage us to do that. And it's something I'm still so intimidated by. <laughs> do you have any tips for that as we talk about um, sharing the charisma? I think a very simple thing is when, when you're engaged with somebody about something serious in their life mm -hmm. to say, uh, is it okay if I pray for you about that? Right. You know? And then you can say, or would you like to pray together right now? Mm -hmm. But if you've, I've seen this uh, in action, and it seems yeah. to me to be very effective. Okay. Uh, one way I often am, have the opportunity to do this is uh, people will ask me for their prayers. And uh, I will say, well, sure, but maybe we can pray right now. Mm. And I think uh, uh, yeah. spontaneous, some element of spontaneous prayer is very helpful. And then one might conclude with the Lord's Prayer or the Hail Mary. Mm. But uh, to, to be sure to use uh, some of my own words. Just in my experience talking to different people, that can even be intimidating. The idea of you want me to spontaneously pray? Like they'll, they'll pray in Our Father or Hail Mary, but to lead a prayer themselves... Uh, can be semi-intimidating right. for them to even think about. But but I like what you said there, even if it's simply in our Father, or again, if they pray for that grace, you know, God, if this is what you're asking of me, give me the grace and strength to actually deliver on this, to do it. Um, there's a beautiful invitation right there as well. Yeah, start at the shallow end of the swimming pool. It could be simply, uh, all right, I'll, I'll pray for, is it okay if I pray for you to find find work? You find out somebody's uh, looking for a job. Then uh, what about we pray for that right now? And, and you, you make it the Our Father or make it the Hail Mary. 
but you could introduce it with a, a simple thing might be just to introduce it with holy mother of god uh, we pray please accept this prayer for uh, uh, virginia's uh, need for employment mm-hmm. i mean just something like that yeah 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 i don't i don't want to scare anybody i'm not sure that that uh, <laughs> no this is very helpful cuz you yeah. kind of it's there's both shallow entry right and then there's people that are already walking a path to holiness and you approach them maybe a little bit differently so I like yeah. the the real intro of, you know, can I say a prayer? And then even, you know, would you like to add anything as we're praying together? That's a very, I'm going to use the word safe, but a safe way, I think, to approach it so that, um, you know, I, I worry that I don't want to uh, make people feel put off, right? So um, those are some real good tips to be able to approach inviting people to pray. Archbishop, is there anything else you'd like to add on this topic about the kerygma? I'm really impressed about what the both of you do. So, uh, and when I when you speak up, I'm mindful of all the catechists in this diocese, and uh, the priests and the deacons as well. Uh, I think uh, the Holy Spirit is very powerfully at work in helping us respond to this post-Christian situation, and. Uh, Let's hold one another in prayer so that we don't become discouraged. Mm-hmm. Amen. We've reached the point in the podcast where we usually ask you, the listeners, to submit questions to the Archbishop for an answer. This month, however, we're taking a pause while we think of new and creative ways to gather questions. If you're listening to this podcast and you'd like to submit a question, this is your chance. You can email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Make sure to include your name, your parish, and of course, your question. Archbishop, we always like to ask as well, though, is there anything, you know, as we're entering into this Holy Week and this episode will be released after Easter, but is there anything specific in this season right now that you have as for prayer intentions that we can keep in mind as we pray for you? One of the things uh, I'm going to say at the Christmas Mass is announce a year of prayer for uh, uh, the whole diocese to ask God to send us more priestly vocations. So mm. I, I'd ask people to participate in this year of prayer. Archbishop, would you mind actually closing us with a, with your blessing? I would be delighted. Lord God, pour out your, your grace upon us, strengthen us so that we may, in our place and our time, each of us uh, live the Holy Spirit of sonship, uh, call you Abba, Father, and live as your faithful daughters and sons. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.